Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who've been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Yolanda Webb. Welcome, Yolanda. Thank you. And Yolanda is the Director of the Office of Adult Aging and Disability Services for the state of Colorado. And we were just commenting about how long that title is. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's as long and as complicated as your job is, though. So. <laughs> it, it truly is. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, before we get into what it means to be the director of the Office of Adult Aging and Disability Services. Um, I always like to start with the icebreaker questions so that we get to know you as a person. So tell us where you grew up, how big your family was, you know, how many siblings, and where you were in the birth order, or where you are in the birth order, and then how you think that shaped you. Sure. Uh, let's see here. I am the second child um, out of four. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. My father was a high school principal and my mother a social worker. Uh, being the middle child meant that the expectations, I always say for middle children, is really based on academics. You're, you're, you're rewarded as that middle child. That first child can do no wrong, and so it's, it's, it's the social child. That second child, it's academics, and I was the brains, and my, my siblings are going to hate me when I say this, and they hear this, um, but I, um, my brother and I, um, he was the third child, and then we are anchored by a, a younger sister, but uh, between the two of us, we were the ones that always brought home all the A's, and uh, we were always, you know, in, in the organizations or clubs that were focused on academics, and so uh, I'm that child. Um, I was called the nerd who sat on the front porch uh, and read books while everybody else was riding bikes or running up and down the street playing games. I was that kid that was sitting on the front porch with the book in her hand with the glasses on uh, that got teased seriously for being a nerd when that <laughs> wasn't even popular, right? So yeah. I was that. Yeah, now it's becoming popular to be a nerd. It is. <laughs> Dang it, you were ahead of your time. Yes, it is, because now they turn into people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and so. <laughs> yeah, super successful. Yeah, super well, successful. you know, I'm, I'm a middle child, too. There's just three of us, um, but my younger sister was the, the, the smarty pants. She was, she actually skipped a, a grade, um, and so she, I was the athlete, um, okay. and then older one was the, um, well, she just was forging the way. She was the leader, right. I guess, sure. I guess you could say. So sure. I, I got to tell you, I love this um, birth order question. It's been so fascinating to hear about all the different family dynamics and, uh, and how that plays out and shapes you. So, okay, so, so you were a nerd, you were a reader. So are you introvert, extrovert? I think I'm a combination of both. I love people, um, but it takes me a minute to sort of warm up um, to, to folks in my capacity, in my professional life, I do that very well. Uh, but I'm also really comfortable being by myself. Um, you know, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Um, I, I never feel like I'm lonely or alone because I can, you know, I'm that person that can entertain themselves. I love music, I love books. Um, so I don't know if I'm either. It just depends on the circumstances, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, so you probably get great energy in certain environments from people. You know, it's, it's your friends or maybe colleagues or someone you're super interested in. And then other times you're like, you know what? I just need a break. I need. I do. <laughs> that's, that's, that is absolutely me. <laughs> well, you know, that's me too. And I, I, um, I found as a middle child, I'm kind of the middle of a lot of those personality tests. Do you find that too? I find that absolutely to be true. I, I really am. And so it's really contingent upon, I think, environment for me. Um, and the people that I'm around, there are people, um, and I'll say like you, who bring out the, the best in me, who bring out sort of the, and, and it's an energy that I feel off of, off of people. And so that's, um, yeah, I'm inspired and motivated by people. And, and so I can feel that energy. But yes, I do. Oh, very cool. Even through Zooming, I know that's been hard, right? I think that's the hard part of the Zoom is that you don't have that personal contact, but at least we can see each other and yeah. 
Yeah, and, and even through Zoom, I think you, I, I think people exude a certain energy anyway, and and I don't think technology takes that away from us. Um, I think we are who we are, and our personalities can shine through, uh, regardless of what the barriers are. And, and I see Zoom as just sort of a barrier and uh, an imposed barrier, but a barrier nonetheless. But I think we can still shine. Our personalities can shine through. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's, it's a barrier in a way, but then at the same time, look at what it's given us, right? Absolutely. It's all just via phone call and not see facial expression. Yeah. It's so different, yeah. If you grew oh. up in the George Jetson era, you remember that this was actually something that they were doing when we were watching that cartoon way oh, back right. when. <laughs> I totally forgot about George Jetson. Yes. yes. Right. We were talking about cartoons last night and... Um, Anyway, George Jetson, I'm going to have to bring, oh, man. This, this is exactly what they were doing. You know, the, the TV came down out of the, uh -huh. wherever it came from, and, and George would talk on it. And so it's, this is absolutely, um, we've gotten there. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> from my childhood, we've actually got, gotten to that place, right? Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I got to remember George Jetson. <laughs> okay. Um, on the fun meter, scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being life of the party, uh, where do you put yourself? I'm probably, um, I'm probably a four and a half. So I, I would say about a 4.5. Um, I am, I love music. I love dancing. And so, you know, when, when we were younger, if there were parties, um, I wasn't shy about getting out on the dance floor and, and, and dancing. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily have to have a partner. I just love to dance. Mm -hmm. um, and I love to sing, even if I sing off key. And so I'm, I'm that person. Um, I love, what I used to do is host things called lunch and learns in my home, um, especially for younger women, uh, because I think that's really crucial. And, and we do these potluck things and I'd have them bring uh, dishes over. I'm still doing that uh, now, but via Zoom, um, oh. hosting those right on Wednesday nights it's a group of, of women uh, we get together and we just motivate inspire um, one another to succeed wow that's a that's a great opportunity because you know you need to, you need to connect with colleagues and well that's kind of what this podcast is right is you can hear other people's stories and you can relate and you go oh that hasn't happened to me but something similar has and that oh I wish I'd have, you know maybe handled it differently or maybe now if it comes up for me I have a, a different way to handle it so wow very cool it's very cool okay on the risk meter scale of one to five one being low five high where are you on taking risks well let me put it this way when bungee jumping was all the rage I bungee jumped now I will <laughs> I will tell you um, that as they were hoisting me up, you know, you, you're, you're, they, they strap you in and, and you're hoisted up on this, this crane thing and you stand up there on the side of a, a mountain looking out over at all the water. And if you look down on the other side, the people look virtually like ants. Um, I cried all the way up there and it took me 20 minutes to jump. And they kept saying, ma'am, you need to jump. <laughs> and, and I am snotting and crying because I am scared out of my wits. But I, I said, I had promised my children that I wanted to do this so that I could have them have an understanding that there are sometimes risks in life that you have to take. And this was just a, a way for me to prove that to myself and to them. And I took that risk and I closed my eyes and I leaped off of the side of that mountain. And all I can remember is that rubber band snatching me back up and my sort of dangling around, um, but saying to myself, I did it. And so I am a risk taker. I've you know, lived, had the opportunity to live around the world. Um, I moved to Denver by myself, didn't know a soul here, um, just on the fact that this was a risk that I could take on myself. And so here I am. And so I, I am absolutely a risk taker. Um, I, I love facing the unknown. Well, let's, should we put you like at a seven or a ten <laughs> on the scale of five? Wow. Wow. Well, I admire, congratulations on taking that leap. Um, you know, I, you know, as you were telling that story, my first thought was, well, why are you going up this crane if you're if so fearful for you? But I could tell you, you needed to overcome it, right? You I did. It was, it, it mm -hmm. was absolutely, it was a challenge. 
um, for me. It was, you know, during that, the height of the bungee jump craze and, and it was something that I said to myself, I, I really want to do this. And there were a group of us, uh, probably 10 or 15 of us in, in the group that decided that we, we were gonna make this happen for ourselves. And um, there were about seven men and, and probably seven women. And out of the seven women, only two of us as women um, once we got out there, once we saw this thing, decided that we wanted to do it. And I was one of the two. And she, I will tell you, she went up, no tears, just fearless, and leaped off of the side of this mountain. And I thought, never in my life, but I really wanted to make that happen. Um, and so it was really about overcome, overcoming the things that I was afraid of. And so I did it. And I still have the care, they give you the carabiner that you can put on your desk or, you know, have mounted to say, I did this. And you can look back over and I still have it. I keep it with me. I just want to remind myself that I did something that not everybody has the courage to do. Do. Well, I love that. Keepsake. That yeah. is really cool because, you know, you yeah. can, you get a good picture, but a keepsake is a little different, you know, because that's what held you up. Yes, that's the, that, that, that little thing is the thing that held me up, right? Yeah, yeah. and so I hold on to that, yes. Very cool, okay. Well, I, I love those uh, questions about introvert, extrovert, fun meter, and risk meter in terms of as we get through your story, we'll mm -hmm. see how all that starts to play out too, not just in a big, big event like bungee jumping, but just through all your decisions. So, so tell us a little bit about your role today, uh, about being the director. And then we'll get into, how did I get here? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in my role as the director for the Office of Adult Aging and Disability Services, I oversee um, the state's Veterans Community Living Centers, our division of regional centers, which serve individuals with developmental disabilities. Um, my office also oversees all of our aging and adult services which covers adult protective services, the state unit on aging, which is our area agencies on aging, um, overseeing aging services for all 64 of our county department of human services. My office oversees uh, MindSource, which is the brain injury network, um, the, the Colorado Commission for the Deaf, Hard of Hearing, Deaf Blind, Developmental Disabilities Council, and Disability Determination, which is really literally uh, the state of Colorado's front door through the Social Security Administration for determining disabilities for children and adults um, in Colorado. So this broad span of services for adults um, with disabilities and who are elderly uh, throughout the state of Colorado. So um, lots going on, of course, as you can imagine during this time of COVID um, and the challenges that we have faced in our nursing facilities and our congregate living facilities. And so um, that's my job. That's, I, I say that's my everyday job. On the other side of that, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I've owned my own businesses um, and along uh, with what I'm currently doing, I'm also um, the, a principal advisor in my consulting company, the Web Advisory Group, where we do diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Wow, so really you've got two hats there. You've got, like you said, your day job and then you're a serial entrepreneur. Well, it's interesting as a serial entrepreneur that you have you're working in a state government usually you know serial entrepreneurs are very much in that space and not in a government space which is such a different space to be in so give me a sense how many employees are i mean you rattled off so many different groups sure. that you're helping is there an agency under each one of those and i mean there is a there's absolutely a different business unit or agency that operates under each one of those. My office oversees about 1,500 employees uh, with an operating budget of about 214 million um, um, annually and state revenue, um, general fund revenue, federal funds, grants and donations. And so um, a very large department within the Colorado Department of Human Services. Yeah, wow, very impressive. Well, first off, thank you for your public service oh. and stepping into a big job like that. And I know it is, you've only been in Colorado for about a year and a half. And so welcome you to, uh, I, I'm just knowing, knowing who you are and that you're in this role. I, I'm, I feel like we're in good hands. <laughs> oh, thank you. I am. I, I love being here. I love the work. 
um, love the people that I had this opportunity to work alongside um, and who work alongside of me, my, my staff, and I don't call them my staff, it's my team. Um, they're the ones that do this work every single day and I am grateful um, to be able to be a part of it. It is, um, it, it's really service to people. It's, you know, it's living up to our model and our values of people helping people. Uh, and that's what I've done my whole life, even in my entrepreneurial work. Um, that's what I do. Oh, okay. So that's a great segue into when, you know, back in the, the day when you were junior high, high school, what did you want to be when you grew up? It sounds like you wanted to be helping people, but did you know you wanted to be doing what you're doing today? I I didn't. As I said, you know, my, my parents, my, my dad was a high school principal, my mother a social worker. And so it was interesting because that was during the time when you still did home visits. And so my mother would take us with her, my, my older sister and I, with her on her home visits. And she would say, I want you to understand how lucky you are, how well off you are. And so we would go into some of these homes and I would see, unfortunately, how people lived. I, I would also see people that abused the system, you know, but I would also see on the other side of that, that people who really desperately needed um, services and supports. And so I grew up with that. But I also grew up with, you know, my, my dad who understood that, that the key to being able to really help people was to have the knowledge and the wisdom uh, to do so. And so no, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. Um, my, my first job was in retail. And what I have always known, Kathy, is that I, I wanted to understand what made us tick as human beings. You know, even in the, the retail space, why do we buy what we buy? Why do we shop the way we do? But from, from a more global perspective of human behavior, I wanted to understand our humanity, who we are and the things that drive us, the things that drive our collective consciousness, but the things that drive our disparities and the things that keep us apart. I wanted to know that more than anything else. My mother used to say, um, I was nosy uh, because I people watched a lot. And she would say, stop being so nosy. And I'd say, mom, it's not being nosy. I'm watching people. I want to know and I want to understand our humanity. I want to understand people. Uh, and so I've always known that. I've, I've not always known exactly what that looked like or what that meant that I would be doing. Um, but I've always known that I wanted, I wanted to help shape our human behavior to get us back to being where we should be as people. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting that you had like this inner knowing about that, but you know, you, I would describe that as curiosity. Yes. Right. And that's probably yes. how, but yet your mom said nosy, you know, but nosy. how she could see that. Right. And that, um, and that yes. was also, I mean, that was kind of their era too, is that you did kind of, you had to pull back from yep. neighbors and, you know, and all of that stuff. And Absolutely. You, you didn't, you didn't stare. You know how your, your parents used to say, don't stare. Yeah. Right. And it was for her, for her, that's what it was. And I would say, I'm, I'm not staring. I'm learning. I'm, I'm watching people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and she always credited me for being um, wise beyond my years. She used to tell me all the time, you have an old soul. Um, and I do, um, you know, I, because I think a lot about people, about us as people on the planet, about how we can be better and, and evolve to have the kind of world that we want to have. And so I think a lot about that. Wow. So what, did you end up going to college? out of high school and uh, I did I did um yeah went to college um went to a historically black college and university Tennessee State in Nashville um graduated with a bachelor's in both criminal justice and um psychology and I will tell you that the only reason that I and I had no intentions of ever going into criminal justice understand but once I got there my my uh, undergrad degree was to be in hospital administration they eliminated the hospital administration program and said, you got to pick a major. Well, I didn't want to change schools. My sister was at this school. Um, I had become the, the first um, freshman majorette, which is a huge thing in a historically black college and university because normally that's upperclassmen. And I was the first um, who mm -hmm. as an incoming freshman had sort of made the squad because that was unheard of. And I didn't want to leave. So I chose 
what I knew off of this list that they gave me. They said, you have to declare a major. Okay, criminal justice. I knew nothing about criminal justice and psychology. I'm gonna take psychology because I think that's the study of human behavior. Um, and so away I went to study human behavior and then went on to get my master's in humanities and theology. So always sort of in that space of wanting to understand us as human beings. Yeah, I see that. I see that. And then probably as you got into those classes, that helped you shape then, well, what do you want your master's in, right? And then you were, you were maybe a little bit more intentional about how you I picked was. those. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I, okay, I just yes. got to pick something. <laughs> right. It was, it was no longer, you just got to pick something. It was really directed towards how do I get to this level of understanding who we are as people, uh, which drove my, my master's in humanities and theology. Oh, wow. Fascinating. So then were you uh, working as you were going to school or how, you know, did you have a, a, a kind of a career started or I guess maybe just a job? I did. Um, you know, as an undergrad, um, I came out in my very first real, I say my real job um, coming out was uh, with the old service merchandise. I don't know if you remember service merchandise. It was a, a national um, jewelry uh, retailer and oh, I started yeah, 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 yeah. they did crystal and, and all kinds of and I started I started in their distribution center and, and quickly um, was promoted into transportation and then into a buyer position which was really interesting uh, for me um, because again here's here's retail and I really want to understand what drives us mm -hmm. to make the choices mm -hmm. that we do and so um, use that in that space and shortly thereafter um, married my college sweetheart, and he was military, so that upended my career, had to do a sort of career shift and pivot uh, as we traveled around the country and the globe, uh, ended up in Masawa, Japan, and was, yeah, uh, was, was chosen to be the executive director for the international school, which was pre-K through fifth grade. Um, I hadn't been in the education space before then, uh, but again, it was just a challenge um, for me. They needed, they needed someone to step into the role. The woman who had been in the role, her husband was military, so they were transitioning out. Um, I had gone in to apply just to work part-time and was offered this job. <laughs> right time, right place. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, took the role and was really there for about four and a half years before my husband was transitioned uh, back to the States. Um, coming back to the States, took that experience and became a fifth grade teacher. Um, yeah, and, and, and I tell everybody, I was still young enough then. I had had two small children, toddlers um, at the time. My, my, my youngest child was actually born in Japan, um, but took that opportunity to become a teacher in San Antonio, Texas, which is where he was um, stationed in, in Texas. And taught fifth grade for about a year and realized this isn't for me. Um, I, I just, I can't do this. Um, and so went to what was then known as the San Antonio State School, which was the institution for people with developmental disabilities. Who This was long before group homes. This was long before the institutionalization where everybody lived in large institutions and congregate settings. And um, I, I remember going in for the interview with the psychologist um, who was going to interview me for a behavior specialist. And so this is really literally segueing my whole career of the study of human behavior. Um, and as I was walking through the dorm, there was lots of erratic um, and challenging behaviors. Um, and in the midst of it all, I'm walking through it and talking with the residents that live there. And by the time I got to the end of the hall, she looks at me and she says, you have the job because you weren't afraid of the folks, you interacted with them. So she watched my behavior. Uh -huh. um, and, right. And I learned a lot from her. Um, and so I had that role for about five years before my husband was transferred again, <laughs> military. And people say, you, you, you worked in a lot of different places. When you're married into the military, you move around a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we were then transferred um, to Ohio. And interestingly enough, I became a behavior specialist for the county's developmental disabilities program in um, Cincinnati, Ohio, well, in Montgomery County, Ohio, which is Dayton. Um, 
and worked in that role for, for quite a while, helped actually write some of the um, state rules around how you treat children in classrooms that have um, developmental disabilities. Uh, we were at that point moving kids from segregated classrooms into normal regular classrooms in public schools. So was able to help a lot of um, uh, write some of the behavior intervention laws for the state of Ohio uh, and how you worked with children in those classroom settings. And, and I'm at a conference one day and the superintendent for the Hamilton County Board of Developmental Disabilities asked me, he said, don't you live in Cincinnati and work in Dayton? And I said, sure. He said, well, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And he did. <laughs> he did. He, he literally made me a, a job offer on the spot to take a job in Cincinnati that was two blocks from my house and a block from my children's school. Um, wow. Yeah. And it was interesting because he went on to become one of my greatest mentors and supporters and, and advocates um, in the work that I do. Uh, and he came into my office one one day and my, all my staff are going, oh my God, he's here, Tom's here. Um, and, and he comes in and he sits down and he says to me, Kathy, he said, Yolanda, where do you think you'll be in five years? And I asked him, I said, do you want the politically correct answer or do you want the truth? And he said, well, let's start with the truth. And I said, I'll have your job. And he said, you know what? I think you, you're right. And he began to mentor me in order for me to become uh, a superintendent um, in the state of Ohio. And I, went, I was one of the first folks that went through what was then known as the superintendent's leadership class. They were, they were really looking for diverse candidates to go through the superintendent's leadership program in the state of Ohio. And I was one of the first folks to graduate um, from that superintendent's leadership program. Um, and, and shortly after that, he decided that he was going to, to retire and uh, moved me into, and his deputy superintendent also retired at the same time. So I literally moved into that deputy role um, and they hired a superintendent. Unfortunately, she and I did not get along at all. We did not see eye to eye. Um, and I chose to, to make my exit. That was when I became my, an entrepreneur for the very first time. Ah, yeah. Isn't it interesting how who you work for matters so much, right? And if you have that connection and that alignment, the places you can go, right? And, Absolutely. But when it doesn't work, you got to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of you's got to go, right? And it's usually yeah. not going to be the boss. <laughs> well, I, and I think you you learn as you are, you know, for anybody that's that's younger and starting out, you you, you understand that that a, the job doesn't have to be your life. You you have options, and you can, you know. In that case, I, I certainly could have could have stayed and 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 been miserable, mm -hmm. um, but I I made the choice that my happiness, my peace meant more than a job. And so, you know, for me, it was, um, I could either continue to be miserable and bring that misery home to my children, my family, or I could find something that made me happy um, and do that. Yeah. So how was that stepping into entrepreneur and, but also how was it, I guess, leaving, you know, because sometimes, you know, we tend to stick around and go, well, I'm not going to let, you know, her get the best of me or him get the best of me. And you know what I mean? You, you, yep. you kind of dig in and go, well, I can wait them out or. And let me tell you, I, that, that was probably my first thought was I can wait her out. But the, the more miserable I became, I actually started, I took that time and I, I said to myself, well, while I'm here, let me work on something that I think I really want to do in my heart and soul. And it was this business that I was creating at the time in our, in our country was, you know, on um, stations like Black Entertainment Television, which is BET and on HBO and MTV were these caricatures of what it meant to be a Black woman, uh, a young Black woman in the country, you know, and it was, was associated with, with rap music and the images for me were horrible because I had a teenage daughter and I'm saying she doesn't act like that she doesn't dress like that and I wanted to change the image in the marketplace again human behavior I needed to shape the narrative of what it meant to be young 
gifted and black in America. And, and so um, I started crafting in that environment that I was in that was miserable, this business plan. Uh, and this business plan led me to create Elon Cosmetics, which was a cosmetics line. Um, I had no intention of this taking off. I just, I just wanted to reshape the narrative and maybe open a small store, um, which I did um, in Cincinnati, uh, a small boutique store. I had been on Rodeo Drive, so I had in my, my head what this boutique needed um, to look like. Mm -hmm. And so even in that environment, something good came out of that. And so I didn't waste that time of being miserable and feeling sorry for myself. Um, I, I, what I wanted to do was then turn that energy into something more productive and positive. And so I created um, this beauty line called Elon. And, you know, we were, we're doing okay. You know, we were, we, we were open. We, we had a full cosmetics line. And um, one day I get a call and it's Macy's department stores. Um, and if you know, Macy's headquarters um, is in Cincinnati. Oh. Uh, and and most, people, most people didn't know that. But Macy's headquarters is in Cincinnati. And um, my daughter answers the phone and, and they say, you know, Macy's department stores, we want to have a conversation with the owner. And my daughter's like, Ma, it's, it's Macy's. Um, and so in that conversation, they said, you know, we have heard a lot about your brand. We've even sent some folks in to test your brand. And we'd like to have a conversation with you. And um, I said, okay. And what they wanted was for me to do a couple of trials um, through their store. We set up to have counter space. Again, Kathy, I knew nothing really about retail other than when I worked at, you know, JC Penney's when I was in high school, right? Uh, but again, for me, it was about how then do I market this from this, this narrative that I created for young black women um, to expand this to all women of color. Uh, and, and so we went into that space, we went into Macy's, they said, here's what we want, here's the expectation. Um, over a three-day weekend, you need to hit X dollars amount at the door. That's, they call it a door, your counter is called a door. And this is what you need to do. I didn't even have staff, it was my daughter and I. I called everybody I knew, including my mother, who didn't wear makeup and said, <laughs> I need your help to man this counters, right? I, I bought matching smocks for everybody. I had my uh, cosmeceutical company ramp up production of my product line and get product to us. And one day in August, over a three-day weekend, we hit the shelves uh, in Macy's department stores, wedged between Mac and Estee Lauder. And I'm thinking, we're going to get killed. But we didn't we exceeded the expectation by 250 percent wow wow Amazing. Amazing. Take that, in. that is well think how unique and you were the first right and I was actually the second african-american beauty line to go into macy's department stores wow and yeah. and, and then you you know, the here's our expectation oh wait Two, two and a half times that. <laughs> two and a half times that. And so they didn't believe me. They, they were like, well, maybe you called up everybody you knew. And you know. I said to them, I literally said to them in a meeting, if I called everybody I knew to do this, I don't need you. I mean, I, I, let's think about that. But they wanted to see if I could replicate that success. And so um, again, called up everybody I knew, talked to my, my manufacturer, but this time I went to the mall. Um, because again, I'm a student in human behavior. I went to the mall, the, the folks that own the mall, and I said, here's what I did for you the last time, because people didn't just come to my counter in Macy's. They went throughout Macy's and they went throughout the mall. And the mall looked at their numbers and said, you're absolutely right. So we're going to get behind you 100%. They did all of my advertising for me. I, I didn't need to do any of that. The mall took that on. And they said, the, the mall owner said, we got you. We, we're going to do this for you. Again, a three-day weekend. We repeated it, I think, October. We exceeded the expectation by 450%. Oh That's my God. Blew the door even more. Yeah, we did. We did. We, the, the lines were so long um, to get into the store to buy the products um, that the mall literally put chairs out for people to wait. 
in these chairs as, as the lines were sort of snaking through um, the store. But what I got out of it was a simple line that a, a customer said to me when she was in the store. She said, I finally made my way up here. She said, let me tell you why I'm here. When I see me, I buy me. And that for me, again, human behavior said in the marketplace, if I don't see a representation of me and, you know, and not to disparage any of the other cosmetics lines during that time, but they were all using rappers and, you know, all entertainers. People didn't see themselves that way. Mm -mm. They saw themselves as ordinary people, school teachers, social workers, and that's who I used in my advertising. I, I used everyday ordinary people. And so her line uh, and her message resonated. She said, I saw this picture all the way across the mall. And I said to myself, I need to figure out whose cosmetics line this is, because when I see me, I'm going to buy me. Um, and, and that was literally the narrative of what Elon became. Yeah, voice, voice of the customer. And it was a voice in your head. It was absolutely the, the voice of the customer. Right. And we were we did that for about two and a half, three years. Um, and then of course the, the economy tanked. And you know, I I couldn't keep up with Estee Lauder and, and, and Mac and and so you know we 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 decided to to close and but I wouldn't have done it any different than what I did. Yeah. So you know, this is your first uh step into being an entrepreneur. So it sounds like it was a side gig while you were in the job where it was, you were not happy. So what made you, you finally left, I'm guessing, and then, you know, uh, or did you? And then, you know, so that you could do I full did. time? I, yes, I, I did. I left the job so that I could go into to running the business full time. Out of that came, uh, we did magazines and photo shoots. And, you know, we, we, we fortunately, we did get into the entertainment space, begrudgingly, but we did. Um, but yeah, I did eventually have to leave and, and, and run and operate the business full time. And so operated the business full time for the next 10 years uh, because we still did the, the magazine. Even though we came out of Macy's, we operated our own stores um, and uh, ran a, uh, uh, I would call it a makeup artist studio where we did makeup for um, uh, television um, and for entertainers. And, and then we created a magazine. Wow. Then, so from makeup to magazine. So how, where, where'd you get your business sense? I mean, it's not easy being an entrepreneur, number one, but then this is a business sense, but this is also a very, um, well, to me, I feel like it seems so competitive. And so you got to have the right celebrity and the right messaging and marketing. I mean, that from your background, I didn't hear a lot of that. <laughs> I, I didn't go to school for this. Let me, let me put it this way. Um, I think it was, it was, the, the motivation that as an African-American woman, I needed to change the narrative in the marketplace. And the only way I could do that um, was through this vehicle called business. And so I had to learn how to operate a business, but operating a business isn't any different than working in the space that I'm working in now. Everything is a business. You know, even your own life is a business. You, you know, you've got checks and balances in your own life. You've got income revenue, you've got expenses and expenditures. It's, it's all a business. And so I took what I knew about life and applied it to this business, um, to operate this business. And uh, I used to say that to my staff, it's all a business. It, this is no different than anything mm -hmm. else. If you're going to be successful in life, you can be successful in your business if you take them both seriously enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you also had such a strong purpose. So this isn't just, Hey, I want to create a makeup line no. and make money. You, no. you were like, no, I want to change the narrative, which is what, when you look at today, what are those successful companies? Like I just bought some socks for my sister for the holidays and you know, mm -hmm. it was buy a pair of socks and we're going to donate a pair of socks. Well, that Absolutely. was a big draw. I mean, it's Absolutely. like, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it has to be. I mean, you, you know, and, and you're right. I didn't start this to, to make money. I, I, I had no clue about, you know, or an objective uh, for this to be in Macy's department stores. That wasn't the, the, the thing for me was I had a 15 year old daughter who didn't see herself in the marketplace, um, who, who was still, you know, from, from when I was younger, mixing and matching makeup 
so that it would match her skin tone. And I was frustrated that I now had a 15 year old daughter and we were still going through the same thing. And I said, this has to stop. This, this can't, this is, this, we're, we're in the 20th century. <laughs> somebody, and, and so why shouldn't I be the somebody? And so I became the somebody. Wow. That could help shape that. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a big, a bigger vision than just being in Macy's. Macy's, Macy's was the channel. It was the Absolutely. distribution. Was the yeah. Yep. It was the vehicle to get the message out there. And, and out of that came lots of other uh, up and coming beauty companies targeting uh, women of color. But out of that also, um, you, if you looked around, uh, Estee Lauder, Mac, all of them expanded their offerings um, to women of color um, after that. And so if, if I did anything, I, was, I made the market take notice. Yeah. And that for me was the thing that mattered more than anything. So the market took notice, but also you did change the narrative, right? Because they had to change their line and Absolutely. they added more lines and they had to, yeah. So then, yeah. then they become your competitors before you were, yeah, you were the, <laughs> the second yeah. one in and then they were like, no, no, look at the success here. We got to capitalize on that. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, people ask me all the time, would you do it again? It is such a competitive business um, at the age that I am now. I don't know if I have the stamina or the drive. Um, I did then, you know, I, I, I was young enough then um, to be ideological about my competition and how much money and clout they had the world over. Uh, and I was this small brand trying to compete. And even though I did sort of knock them off the shelf for a minute, they, they regrouped and came back. Um, and they came back stronger than I, I could. Um, and so would I do it again? Absolutely do it again. Um, with everything that I've learned now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of uh, going through that experience, right? You go, oh, I could take that back and I'd have, oh, I'd do it differently. Um, but still do it again. So yeah. So how, how did you then go from now you're an entrepreneur and now you're closing? This must have been a hard, a hard point. Making that decision, I mean, because, you know, when you launch something like that, it's, it's kind of your baby, right? It, it absolutely was. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's, I mean, I, I did nothing but eat and sleep that business, for, for sure. Um, it, was, it was heartbreaking. Um, I remember the last day that my daughter and I, in, in our, we, we were in a couple of malls at that point, but closing the doors for the last time and, and, and walking away, um, devastated. And I literally took about a year and a half sabbatical where I didn't work at all. And, um, it, you know, during that time, my, my business partner um, also became my, my life partner, um, but he passed away in, in 2010. And so not only was I losing and closing our, the business, but, um, his loss was also devastating. So I took a year and a half off and I said to myself, okay, so now what girl, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, and I, I moved South. I moved my daughter and her husband had relocated from Ohio to uh, just outside of Memphis. And so I said to her, yeah, if I can find a job, I'll come to Memphis, you know, maybe I'll move that way. And lo and behold, I get offered this job as um, vice president of a nonprofit, one of the largest nonprofits in, in Tennessee. And I'm, I relocate and I'm in my office one day when I, I get a call from Denver. Now, I don't know anybody in Denver. And so I started not to answer the phone, but I forgot probably somewhere when I was kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I was sending resumes out different places. Um, they, they must have received my resume through something, right? And I get the call and, and it's, you know, can I come in and, and have a conversation? I flew here um, in June of last year to have a conversation. Uh, by that Monday, they were calling me and, and offering me the, the job. And, and, you know, I'm saying, well, let me think about it. I think I took 24 hours to think about it um, and had another conversation and said, you know what, I'll, I'll take the job. I was here in less than 30 days. Crazy fast. That it was really fast. It was really fast. Um, and, and again, it goes back to my not being afraid of taking a risk on myself. 
um, you know, that it, it just for me, it, it sounded like the right thing for me to do at this point in my life. Um, you know, my kids are both grown with, with families of their own. And, and this one was for me. This one was, how can I make a difference? And can I make that difference in Denver? Wow. So a whole different state. Yeah. Um, and, but it sounds like with all the departments that you're running, you've touched those in some way for, you know, many parts of your career early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not, so, you know, it seems like it's such a great fit then. I mean, is that kind of what you were looking at too? Is it like, I'm, this is the right next step that I'm prepared. This, this is right time, right prep, all that. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, um, again, remember in, in my early career working for the counties in both um, Dayton and, and in Cincinnati, I had been preparing for this my entire life. You know, literally, this was the work that I started with. This is where my career started. And so here again is sort of anchoring where my career will potentially end is in this space. Um, but, you know, along with this being in this space, I started the web advisory group because, you know, and I had started that way back when I was younger, when, you know, in Hamilton County as a part of my job, um, looking at equity, diversity, and inclusion, because I was one of only two African-Americans um, in the, the space I was in, uh, in my early career in the 80s and the 90s. Um, and so I was asked and tasked to look around. So a, a brilliant glimpse of insight was born. Um, and I started doing um, the, these trainings on what it meant to be diverse, what it meant to be equitable, even before it became fashionable. And um, about three or four years ago, I went back to sort of doing the consulting um, while I was with the uh, nonprofit in Memphis. I started doing some of the consulting work again. And so married both of those <laughs> together. And here I am in Denver, kind of doing doing a little bit of, of, of both, but really focused on um, the Department of Human Services and my job there. Uh, and when I can to do some consulting work um, through the Web Advisory Group. Wow, great jobs, great impact, all about human behavior, changing the narrative. Um, again, I, I'm so glad that you're in my circle and that I know you and I, I know you're gonna be doing a training for our wise women group. Not a training, I'm sorry, I should step back. It's not a it's training, not a it's a conversation. It's You've not a training, it is a conversation because I, I keep saying to people that, that this work is not about programs, it's not about training, it's about changing our behavior. It's about having us look at each other from the perspective of we are all the same and we are not different. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, Yolanda, I have so many questions, but we, we do need to start wrapping up here, but I thank you for sharing all of that. And wow, this has been fascinating. I've heard some of this in your intros as we've crossed mm -hmm. paths in our, in our networking group and our wise women group. And, um, but anyway, to go deep now, is, is just, it's been really, really fascinating. So as we wrap up, tell us, what do you think has served you best over the years? You know, it could be a habit, a discipline, maybe something you heard or what, what do you, a strength? What do you think has served you best? I think the, the thing that has served me best, Kathy, is um, understanding that none of us are perfect. Um, that, you know, we're, we're going to, to make mistakes uh, along the way. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from, and I'm going to read it because it's absolutely my favorite quote in all the world, um, and I live by it every day, um, and it comes from Marianne Williamson, A Return to Love, um, her book that's, that's based on um, the work of in a, a Course of Miracles, and it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. My favorite quote in the whole world. I love it. Goosebumps. I got goosebumps. I've, I've, I've heard that before, but I love the reminder and I love the context of what we're talking about here. And I don't know that I have heard it as complete as that. I usually hear only parts. 
Yeah. And so you have to have the whole piece and now we have the source and yeah. So thank you. You're, you're welcome. This has been enjoyable. Thank you for having me. Well, any other thoughts or words of wisdom or is that a mic drop moment there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the mic drop moment. Um, you know, you asked me what serves me well. And I think the thing that serves me well is, is understand that I'm here for a purpose on the planet. Um, and I, you know, I daily seek to fulfill that purpose, uh, whatever that is. And that doesn't mean being stagnant. It means knowing and learning and, and wanting to embrace the world around me. So that's who I am. Back to that curious nature, that curious nature. Wow. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much. Um, it has been a pleasure meeting you in the, this last year and a half, and then now just getting to know you even better. And then I, I'm so looking forward to the conversation in February as well, um, and to just continue that conversation and to have you as part of my friend group and uh, to see where this leads. So I'm very glad our, our paths cross, and I think uh, folks are going to really you know, enjoy what they heard today and, and be inspired by that. So thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for having me again. Um, this has been enjoyable. I have loved my time um, with wise women. I have learned um, so much, and I, I am um, grateful for having been embraced um, to be a part of this wonderful group. So thank you very much. And thank all of the wise women for um, embracing me and, and bringing me into their conversation. Very cool. It's, it's, a, it's a, a great group and one that continues to grow uh, as we expand our, our, our group. So very yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up then. So listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below so you'll be alerted as other interviews are published. If you have any questions for me or for Yolanda, you can post them on my website, lifestorycurator.com, and I'll make sure to get them to Yolanda. And then also, Yolanda, if you would share any of your social media uh, information and links and such, then uh, we'll post that with your interview so folks can probably reach out to you directly or, or go through me. So sure, either absolutely. way, on that note, everyone, please stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing these stories. Have a great day.